0: I'm Sunny the Cuckoo Bird. To keep myself from going cuckoo for this complete breakfast with munchy, crunchy, chocolatey Cocoa Puffs, I'm gonna watch some TV! I love you. Phooey! And then you plug the Yuck. Boring! Munchy, <laughs> crunchy, chocolatey Cocoa Puffs! Cocoa Puffs? Yahoo! I'm for Cocoa Puffs! Clear for Cocoa Puffs! Well, that's what I call a cuckoo commercial.
1: Being truly thankful for what we have received is perhaps one of the most powerful things to help us succeed in our career, our relationships, really our lives. Gratitude moves us profoundly from the limitations we put upon ourselves to the means to expand us into love. Gratitude is that fullness of heart, the clarity in our vision. When Jason Street went down the first game of the season
0: everybody wrote us off everybody and yet here we are at the championship game Forty thousand people out there have also written us off there are a few out there who do still believe in you Few will never give up on you you go back out on the field those are the people i want in your minds those are the people i want in your hearts Every man at some point in his life is going to lose a battle. He's going to fight and he's going to lose. But what makes him a man is that in the midst of that battle, he does not lose himself. This game is not over. This battle is not over. So let's hear it one more
1: time together.
0: Clear eyes, full hearts.
1: Clear eyes, full hearts, gratitude. And as Coach Taylor is teaching in that moment, it's not just in the winning that we feel the gratitude. It's easy to think and feel gratitude when we win. The essential power of gratitude is to be grateful. You see, no one wants to feel thankful when they've lost a job or a loved one or missed that huge opportunity or watched their home disappear beneath the waves. This is the distinction between the feeling of gratitude and the being of gratitude. The feelings we have are indeed important. They allow us to experience fully what it is we're going through and we need to have them. But being grateful, that's a choice an active choice, and making it during both the times where the odds are on our side and the ones where they aren't is the most powerful choice. Science has shown this. Research by Dr. Robert Emmons has illuminated that people who consciously focus on choosing gratitude, have higher emotional well-being, feel more optimistic about the future, sleep better, feel stronger during trying times, have closer family ties, and are the favorites of dogs, cats, and children. All right, I may have made that last one up, but there's a huge amount of scientific evidence that gratitude is a powerful choice. So what's our glitch? Why do we have such a hard time making this choice? Well, in my experience, it's one thing in particular. It's because we don't know how to receive. You see, if you read the books, journals, and other materials that examine the power of gratitude, you'll see things like keep a gratitude journal, Write thank you letters. Focus on it by verbally expressing it often. And these are wonderful suggestions, and I follow many of these. But too often, the challenge with choosing gratitude is because we can't internalize it. We don't really know how to receive the thing we're grateful for anyway. So we're kidding ourselves that we are actually being grateful about it. You see, the challenge is that in many ways we are conditioned to see receiving as being weak or needy. When we were little kids and someone gave us an unexpected gift, we were immediately chided, well, what do you say? Thank you, of course, is the right answer, but not because we were being grateful, but because we didn't deserve this gift and we needed to acknowledge that obligation to the other person. This carries through to our adulthood where every gift or unexpected nice compliment, favor, or advantage comes with a self-imposed energy of duty or obligation. I got something, therefore... I owe something. And ultimately that can leave us in an insidious place where whenever we do well, when we succeed at that project, find our perfect mate, get the compliment, achieve a level of winning or success, we go into our heads and we find that childhood. We feel that pain. We resist it. What do you say? Thank you, I guess. We feel gratitude, but we haven't received the thing we're grateful for. We just feel it out of a sense of obligation. On the other side, when something bad happens, we feel like, in some way, we deserve this. So we can't muster the energy to choose being grateful for what could be. Because the choice in us wants to go right to, well, whatever it was, it could have been worse. So learning to receive is the first and most important part of choosing gratitude and realizing its power. Receiving is an energy and a choice Here's the important part. When you receive something, it's not about convincing yourself that you must have done something to deserve it. It's rather understanding that because you received it, you deserved it. Let the gift, the compliment, the achievement, the success have the value, have worth, receive it actively. Receiving is the highest act of creativity. And when you say then thank you, It's coming from your being grateful, not just feeling grateful. And trust me, that's the deepest form of thank you. And then what's one of the secrets to actually learning how to receive better? The answer is in giving. Giving actively with no sense of duty or obligation, without any particular cause or effect in mind. This gift, this compliment, this thing isn't, as you might say, your way of saying thank you. It's just giving and choosing to be thankful for that. And that's the theme of our 200th show, gratitude, receiving it, and giving it. And if our 200th resonates with you, it's not because we've spent 200 weeks becoming skilled at creating it, it's because we feel the immense gratitude for all of you spending your 200 weeks listening to it. Any success I've had in my career, my life, and my relationships have always been formed on my absolute belief and being grateful for where I am at the moment of receiving. Today, this introduction is my entry into my gratitude journal. I'm grateful for the voice I have, the voice I don't today, and I'm grateful for Joe Polizzi. I'm grateful for the internet. I'm grateful that technology enables me to create this on a Sunday afternoon. I'm grateful for old commercials. I'm grateful for music. And I'm grateful most of all, for all of you. So now it's time to get on with our 200th episode. Can you believe it? 200 weeks of this wonderful nonsense. Let's get to some memories, the news, some rants and raves. And yeah, the most important thing, you. You ready to roll? Thanks.
0: And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, P&R, with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys.
1: Well, hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to a special episode, number 200 of PNR's This Old Marketing. 200 weeks in a row. This special episode recorded Monday, September 11th, 2017. And with me, as always, and since he has since episode absolutely number one, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the person I have so much immense gratitude for existing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Oh, well, it goes both ways. Happy anniversary. I can't believe we made it. Two hundred weeks in a—I mean, that's—I mean, when I wrote that, two hundred weeks in a row, I mean, that's there's something to that, right? Two hundred weeks. We were just kids. Yeah, we were just
2: toddlers. <laughs> we were just just kids. trying to figure out. We were we were like that's creating right. banner ads, and it that's was right. Just we were nuts. using
1: AOL discs to get online. What, what
2: and, is the what what is the gift that you give somebody at their two hundredth? anniversary is it
1: i think it's money i think it's is it money? I think it's a lot of is it's a it lot like of a money yes yeah, so i think that's black what pot you want to send or to us something
2: first. i don't know what it is it's, it's uh, money
1: it's green i think it's the gr- 200 is the green anniversary the gr- well then i owe you a check for dealing <laughs> with me
2: for 200 weeks in a row it's really uh, tremendous so congratulations uh, i so, mean yeah, congratulations right back at you with our schedules it it really is hard to believe uh, probably I'd say maybe a quarter of them. You or I were somewhere. Maybe right. more than that. Actually, we were recording in Singapore,
1: or you were in Europe, and I was I probably know in I've, Vegas. Yeah, I know I've <laughs> recorded episodes in Australia, Singapore. I know the Netherlands. I know the UK, Sweden, um, Germany. Uh, I I think I uh, didn't we record an ep? Didn't I record an episode in Istanbul? Yes. Um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's amazing.
2: And there were only a couple there were we did the special content marketing world episode years ago where you and I were together I think we did <laughs> did that once we did one in Sydney together which both were train wrecks And, and when well, we did well honest. we the first one we were at the same location we were in a hotel yeah. and we decided well let's just do it together it just didn't work out well I mean for some reason you and I are better when we're not looking at each other
1: That's like, true <laughs> That's true cuz we get
2: all giggly We <laughs> we definitely get it all giggly Can't do it. So, yeah, so it's a tremendous accomplishment, and we're going to sort of have some special things planned. We do. This This is a
1: bit of a longer show, so buckle your seatbelt and get your popcorn, folks, because this one's going to be... This was a longer episode, so um, you know it might be it might be something you have to do and you know binge it, it, watch or yeah. binge listen over a couple of
2: couple of uh, sessions. Well, we talked about it. This probably will be like an hour and a half episode once we play some of the clips and stuff. But who knows? It really could be like four hours. It
1: Could be a marathon. Yeah, it could be. It could right. be like watching be, The Godfather all three. Or episodes. Game of Thrones. Yeah, it could be watching like an entire season of Game oh, of Thrones, oh. and and you really just don't know which one of us is Bran. <laughs> See that's an inside
2: joke. See, I don't know. I don't know, know. You don't I don't know get, what you're yeah, talking you about. I don't even get any of that. I don't right? know. You could you could say I'm whoever from that episode. I I know Peter <laughs> Dinklage is in that show, but other than that I have no idea. I know he hasn't been yeah. killed off yet. Other than that, that's all I know. Absolutely. Uh, before we get started, we probably yeah. should pay the bills. Yeah, absolutely. Have to have, have, we got some two wonderful sponsors for this special 200th episode. The first one is our good friends at Wyden. They have an outstanding ebook. Called Creative Workflow Workbook. Basically, it's your guide to producing better work together. And the folks at Widen found that creative content production and most organizations fall, falls into five core steps: strategic planning, tactical planning, creation, deployment, and assessment. Where are your teams getting stuck? And if you are getting stuck, you need to download the Creative Workflow Workbook right now to find out. And you can do that at cmi.media/pnr200. Oh my goodness. cmi.media/pnr200b. cmi.media/pnr200b to download the creative workflow workbook from our good friends at Wyden. And uh, it's just sort of nice that a, a regular sponsor and supporter of this old marketing is a sponsor of the 200th episode. So that's just Absolutely. fantastic.
1: And then just it- Go ahead. You were gonna say something. I was just gonna say the the I, I the folks at Widen are so special. They're they're just really really great folks, and 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 a big huge shout out for for all of their support, and especially their support for this special episode.
2: And then the only other thing before we get into the you know special episodes that we want to talk about is that. And we will get to Content Marketing World. Of course, you and I are probably still tired. I still have conference brain, is what we're all calling it. I have, And I have conference (laughs) voice, as you can hear.
1: You can definitely hear it in my voice. Exactly.
2: But uh, we want to make sure we get out the promotion for a limited time. We're offering all the sessions, all the videos for Content Marketing World. It's available whether you are at CMW or not. It's over 100 hours, I believe 100 hours, of the best content marketing education you'll ever find, you can download it with a $100 discount. So go to cmi.media slash video 17, cmi.media slash video 17. When you go there and you register, you can save $100 by using PNR100 as your coupon code. And frankly, I don't say this very often, like you absolutely have to do something. But if you couldn't make it for whatever reason to the absolute best content marketing world we've ever seen, then you owe yourself a chance to see the presentations firsthand. In video, side-by-side video and slideshow, it's just tremendous. The technology, Novio technology we use is is first rate. So go ahead to cmi.media slash video17 and get a chance at the videos. And we're only keeping these available for non-attendees for a couple weeks. So if you want them, now is the time. And if you wait like four or five weeks, they're not going to be available. So want to make sure you get those as
1: soon as you can. And they're good. They're absolutely good, I mean, we'll talk about this in a minute, but there's oh my gosh, some of the presentations this year were just outstanding, just I really thought it was really the
2: best I mean of course, I'm totally biased, but man, did the keynotes come together this year? It yep. was just tremendous, and I, I'm sure we'll talk about that in the in the top of the news, yeah,
1: I think all of our efforts toward pr- getting really just fantastic content really really paid off this year.
2: So can we talk about two hundred a bit? Do you mind we should, if we kind of kind of sashay our way over into Absolutely. number two hundred? So there yeah. was so as as everyone knows, uh, Robert does a great job on the openings, and my job this time was sort of to go through the two hundred episodes. And what I wanted to do is just pick out three. And what we're going to do is we're going to play some of these for you, and Robert and I are going to talk about it. So the first one I want to play, and then we'll have some discussion. Is of course episode number one and episode number one was recorded on november 20th 2013 amazing and uh what we're, i'm not going to set this Seems up like at a all. lifetime ago i'm not going to set it up at all and what we're going to do we're going to play it right from the beginning and i'm just going to play a few minutes so you sort of get the feel for where we were at episode one so let's play that now and then we'll have some conversation about it <laughs>
1: Howdy, 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 content marketers! Today is Tuesday, November eighteenth, two thousand thirteen, and welcome to episode one of this old marketing. We're coming to you both from Cleveland, Ohio, and the always beautiful sunny Los Angeles to talk about all of the wonderful things going on in content marketing news wise. As always, well, maybe not always, because this is our first episode. I'm here with Joe Polizzi. What's up, Joe? Are you saying that Cleveland,
2: Cleveland can't be sunny or something like that? <laughs> I, I right off the bat you got an LA versus Cleveland battle here. Well, you know, I have to uh, I have to throw in my sunshine when I can get it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm with you. Great to be here. We're going to have some fun uh, every week doing this show. So this is going to be awesome. So Robert, uh, you know, the first thing that I wanted to <laughs> point yeah. out in that was that we sounded so young. I know. Did we? It, it was I, I. I
1: definitely. And how was, bad was that audio quality? I oh, mean, that, I mean, <laughs> it, it
2: was. It's not. This is what I can't get over. Our format has stayed pretty consistent. Yeah. Throughout that entire time, and and I don't know if we should share it, but let's just do it because a lot of people that may be new to this old marketing don't really know why we got this started but it was a week before so it was 11/13/2013 and you were in some location and i remember i was driving I was in a in car southern illinois. you were I in was southern illinois southern illinois yeah and i was on some turnpike going somewhere i can't remember exactly where it was i have to look it up but you and i had about a, about an hour of conversation just about what was going on in the industry and we were just fascinated by some of the things that were happening in the news and We got done and we said, we should have recorded that. I mean, I I wish we could have recorded that and sent that out to our audience because uh, we learned a lot from the conversation and we're like, well, maybe other people could learn something from it. And what was it? Like the next day, we said, let's just do it. Let's Let's just make it happen. And we built... We sort of built the programming off the back of uh, Pardon the Interruption, that one of my favorite ESPN shows, yep. where Pardon the Interruption, they basically go through the news, they rant and rave about the news for a little bit, and we're like, well, that would be a great program. Let's take the news in and around content marketing that is really affecting marketers in general, and let's just rant and rave about it, and then maybe we'll have a show. And <laughs> we did, and the one thing that was interesting was we're like, well, what's going to be the name? And of course, everyone that listens to this knows that this old marketing talks about the practice of content marketing that a lot of people think is new, but is very, very old. And on this program, you've heard examples from the 1700s, even talking about content marketing. And and our first uh, example of this old marketing was fittingly John Deere and the Furrow magazine
1: which you and I use all the time in examples that you know I think everyone uses it it's I think it's a I think it's a it's become a legal requirement that you actually include <laughs> the John Deere's the Furrow in any content marketing talk
2: Oh, I always say, I mean, how many times have I said, well, who's the largest media company in the farming agricultural industry? It's not a media company. It's It's John John Deere. 1.5 million subscribers, 40 countries, 14 languages. So that was our first example. And you can go back to episode one and listen to the whole thing if you want to. But that was the first kind of sample I wanted to throw out there. And I got to tell you. It's such a fun
1: one. Well, it's such a a fun. the, The thing that I took away from that episode is how, you know, I I mean I don't know if you can the the audience will be able to hear it but I but certainly the nervousness and sort of un, unsure um you know nature of my voice that I can hear in there it's just like I have no idea if this is interesting or not. I well, I still have no idea. If what yeah, I see we don't is know yet. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 then I was absolutely at least consciously aware that I was unsure of what the hell I was talking about. So the
2: second one is by the way, yeah. I I I think that we actually thought we were going to do like one episode and then that
1: yeah. was like okay yeah, that's going to be I, it, I, nobody, gave us, I gave us yeah I nobody's gave us, like you know it
2: 6 it. months at, yep. at best nobody's going to listen to it no and it took off right away which was really surprising which by the way it took off one of the major reasons is because CMI already built an audience and we were able to ride on the coattails of that audience so I'm I'm a big believer that if you really want to launch a podcast you should actually have an email distribution list first a subscriber yep. list would help that. But anyways, we'll leave that to another conversation. The second episode that I wanted to bring forth was episode 122, which was recorded in the middle of uh, 2016, beginning of 2016. And I was like, Okay, episode 122 is our most popular that we've ever had. One episode, like we've always had more downloads. Like almost every episode in general, every week has more downloads than the week before. But for one episode, for whatever reason, episode 122 had about thirty thousand downloads, and you and I are still scratching our heads wondering why. But the one thing that I took from that episode was actually let's do this. I'm gonna listen listen to this part about. Um, Hello, society being bought by the New York Times. So we'll listen to this part and you and I can banter back and forth about it and then we'll discuss.
1: I mean, I, I want to pat ourselves on the back, Joe, because I don't know how long we've been predicting this to happen. And here we go. The New York Times is expanding its native ad studio, the one we've talked about many times on this show, with the acquisition of Hello Society, a digital marketing agency owned by Science, Inc. Los Angeles-based Science, Inc. both invests in startups and builds its own companies, and it launched Hello Society, which it fully owned, back in 2012 as an analytics platform for Pinterest marketers. Since then, it's broadened beyond Pinterest to platforms like Instagram and YouTube, as well as turning into an agency that connects brands with influential social media users who can help promote their marketing efforts this makes so much sense to me i can't even tell you but what do you think about this this is i mean is this is this the new york times basically saying okay we're in the we're in the agency business now
2: well there this is this is the most critical portion of this story that that caught my attention so the the times ceo mark thompson talks about t brand studio so hello uh what's it called hello society hello society, hello society. will be a part yeah. of t brand studio so basically the native advertising sponsor content group within the times and basically uh mr thompson says that they're getting more and more inquiries to do things outside of the new york times yes that exactly. right there so <laughs> this there there's there's endemic and non-endemic content creation content promotion <laughs> endemic Endemic is everything that they've been doing. It's things on the New York Times site. It's native advertising. It's stuff that has a subdomain related to the New York Times that says paid or sponsored. And they only do things uh, inside the walls of the New York Times, although it's sponsored or paid. He just green lighted a non-endemic play. Which That's means right. they're going to go outside and they're going to start creating all kinds of, of content products and services for for big brands that have nothing to do with the New York Times. Now, I don't know if this is good or not, and there's a you can make a case. I mean, when I was at Pent Media, we really focused heavily on endemic because we thought that was our – competitive advantage. It was very hard for us to go out and say into finance and, and go work with a large bank because we didn't have that expertise there or, or we we wanted to leverage some of the tools that we had for promotion and audience development inside instead of just going outside. But you can make a case in this respect that, hey, there's there's a lot more opportunity out there and they don't have to be uh, just in this little shell of Oh, we have to do everything. You know, we got church and state issues with the New York Times, and there's only so much they can do, and that's true. There's only so much they can do inside the New York Times. Now they can basically go compete against any of the large agencies out there.
1: Well, that's right. And 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 more specifically, around the idea of influencers, right? And so looking at social media and the influencers that these guys have spent Um, you have to figure some time really getting a good methodology and a good approach for solving. And this becomes a promotion engine outside the bounds of the New York Times properties for them to start uh, using the idea of influencer marketing to pull people into these native, you know, these endemic pieces that you're talking about where they actually create something and then build the ecosystem around that to be able to promote it outside the walls of the New York Times. It's, it's a very smart move, I think.
2: So as we're trying to figure out, Robert, why that episode was so popular, and listening to it, I have no idea why. <laughs> yeah, exactly, I you and either. I are not very interesting. It's not, it's, it's uh, at all. yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just another episode. It, it's just two chuckleheads yeah. talking about the New York Times. But the yeah. one thing that I thought was interesting it was one of our first episodes, and we mentioned this in our banter back and forth that we were. Talking like our prediction was coming through, coming true about acquisitions. Because yeah. basically, you say, Hey, we've been talking about this for a while, and we're starting to see it where the New York Times, a you know, one of the mo- elite media companies in the world, went out and purchased an agency and integrated that into T Brand Studio and from boy from that episode on for the last year and a half how many acquisitions have we talked about it's like you know we were we were basically begging the marketplace to look at acquisitions for 2 years and then all of a
1: sudden in the beginning of
2: 2016
1: it started it's it's unbelievable it's it's you know i mean we have we've we've been self congratulatory a lot of course on this show about some of the things that we have seen the trends developing for But that one in particular, I think, was is really interesting, um, in that you know, I mean, it it keys up what I talked about in my keynote this year at Content Marketing World, and and it tees up to what everything we've talked about in the in our new book, which is truly the business model of content is changing, and that was really what we started to see with all of those acquisitions was not just the idea of what was going on in marketing, but quite frankly, the business model of content and why it exists in a business to begin with was you know i mean and and this isn't that long ago right i mean this you know we're talking yeah. you know a little over a year ago and 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 truly what we're what we're seeing is an uh, such an inflection point in terms of the importance of content strategically to the business and i think that was one of sort of the little you know the canaries as it were singing saying hey this is this is really happening
2: so for our third and last clip, uh, I wanted to, to make this sort of a surprise, but I believe you know what I'm going to do on this one. So what I'm going to do I is – I well, don't. Know okay, okay. Do. Here we go. This is episode 125, the beginning of episode 125, and I'm going oh, to just let this you're, play. You're, yeah. Now I know what you're doing. So we're going to let this doing. play, and it's going to play for like five minutes, and then let's talk about it.
1: So when you hear the phrase, everything new is old again, what do you think of? Maybe you think of the Bible verse that this saying reportedly comes from, which is from Ecclesiastes, and says, that which is done is that is which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Myself? Every time I hear of it, I think of that classic song from my all-time favorite musical, All That Jazz, with the awesome lyric, Don't throw the past away, you might need it some rainy day, dreams can come true again, when everything old is new again. It's about growing up and rediscovering that joy in growing up. Growing up and discovering that one day you've got more food in your fridge than beer. Or when you hear your favorite song in an elevator. Or, sadly, as I have recently, in a drug commercial. Yeah, that's right. Or when eating a triple cheeseburger at 2 a.m. sounds more dangerous than awesome. Or you don't have to worry if Domino's takes checks. You don't remember the last time you threw a brick of ramen into a cup of boiling water? You might have grown up. And that's our theme for this week's show. Everything old is new again. And the art of growing up, the world of marketing, it's a lot more enjoyable once you start to appreciate the classics. You ready to grow up? Let's roll.
2: So as as you heard the the reason why I picked this one and what I wanted to get some detail from you Robert because this was the first episode that you did your new introductions which yeah so many of our audience uh listeners out there have fallen in love with, and you get people talking about it all over Twitter about your amazing openings. And I wanted to ask you 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 didn't ask for permission on this; you just did it. Like you just said, Joe, I'm doing a new introduction this week. I, I, I really like it. Um, here it is, and it was it was <laughs> it was fantastic. I'm like, whatever, you know. It's as long as, if you're doing the work and I don't have to do work, great. It's all good. Right. But I wanted to ask you. Why, after 124
1: episodes, did you decide to, to change to this introduction? I, I have two reasons, um, and and one of them is a little more poetic than the other. Um, the first, and probably the primary reason, was quite simply ease. Um, and, and I mean that in all honesty, what, because for those of you who have been longtime listeners of the show, pre-125, you'll know that w- the intro that I would do would be live – with you on the you know with you on the other side, um, and it would be you know maybe a minute, thirty seconds, forty five seconds, or something like that, and it would cover something that was going on in popular culture and me trying to tie it to uh, tie it to content in some way, you know, and content marketing in some way. And so you know, like when the Emmys were around, I would I would make some jokes around the Emmys. We got in trouble for that one time that I that Sarah Palin did a did a and I did like a, a kind of a a, a poetry, def, uh, def jam poetry jam of, of, of an introduction. And we got in all kinds of trouble for that one. Um, but quite frankly, I just, I, I, it was tiring every week to try and find something relevant with pop culture to tie it into the introduction was just really just getting impossible because quite frankly, it was the every it, a year in or however long it was in, you know, or two years in at that point, I guess it was, but it was really difficult to find things that weren't just repeats, right? Oh, the Oscars. Oh, the Super Bowl. Oh, the, you know, the Emmys again. And so I said to myself, you know, if I can just sort of write something that is meaningful to me and I think that would be meaningful to the audience, that would be easier. And that gets into the second reason, which is that I really, you know, I wanted to bring, you know, something you and I have talked about since day one was sort of, you know, doing things that we love to do doing things that we are passionate about talking about and and saying and et cetera, et cetera, and not worrying too much around, you know, having a point of view. It's the thing we teach. It's the thing that we, that we, you know, that that we, we certainly, um, have done to be successful in content marketing. And I, you know, I was like, I, I can just provide some of the great advice that I get from my business mentors, from my spiritual mentors, from people that I read, and sort of bring my you know curate if you will some of the great thinking of the world and and bring whatever minimal point of view i have to it and do something that hopefully the audience gets a little bit out of and that that's truly what i'm so satisfied what satisfies me so much about when people say hey it's really cool or hey that one intro was just amazing that is unbelievable. And, and people ask me all the time, well, how long does it take you to write those things? And, and as I say, it either takes 30, it, it either is a very small part of my Saturday or my entire Saturday, yeah, <laughs> depending, something. you know, and it's just, it's, it's, it, it's sometimes it comes really easily and sometimes it doesn't. So I'm ever grateful uh, to the theme of the show that people find value in it because it's one of the most enjoyable things I do in my job. Well, they're fantastic. I mean, even the last – I mean,
2: you know as, as I am looking out and what are all the things that are going to happen in my life and my career, and I look to those openings. I mean, it's funny how inspiration. Timely, they seem to be, and I'm like, I think Robert's speaking to me. This is amazing. <laughs> I love this. So, uh, just you do just a fantastic job on it. And, well, that's uh, very kind. Of you, as sir. I, as I've we well as we wrap this up and get a little, you know, nostalgic about the whole thing, I I do want to share some stats because. The reason why we continue to do this is because we actually have an audience. We don't just necessarily do it because, I mean, Robert and I would probably talk on the phone anyways or talk, get together in person for, you know, you probably, you, uh, tequila or red wine, and me, it's definitely Tito's (laughs) and tonic. But uh, we have a wonderful audience, and over the past 200 episodes, we have over 1.5 million downloads, which is hard to believe. Uh, it's amazing. 50, and just to share some stats, it's super interesting to me. 53% of our audience is the United States. 8% of our audience is from Singapore. Uh, 6% is from the United Kingdom. And then Australia, Canada, Sweden are the next ones up. And there are regular listeners that listen to this podcast from 200 countries. Oh, my gosh. I can't. Even imagine that it's unbelievable to me. That's the thing that hits me the hardest because often I think about that most of our listeners are in the um, in North America Kingland area, the
1: greater and in, in Northeast Ohio.
2: Yeah, basically, yeah, they're all Browns yeah, fans, exactly. But actually, half of our audience is in North America, and the other half is around the world. And that's I think the the thing that hit. Again, I mean, it happens every year, but when you and I were doing our book signing for Killing Marketing at Content Marketing World, and we signed for, I don't know, it was about an hour period, we probably signed, I think they said we signed 120 books or something like that. And as you and I were signing it, I think almost everyone came up and said, oh my God, I love the podcast and that's just you know you and it's I were humbling. looking at each other like humbling, are you kidding yeah. me these people were coming from new zealand and australia and china and japan and they
1: they listen to the podcast on a regular basis and it just blows me away so yeah it's absolutely humbling it's 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 one of those things where i could not be more grateful be, and and the, the the thing that it the thing that just sort of you know cuz it's really cool when people go yeah that's it's, it was you know it, it's I've been able to, you know, learn that new thing or you brought my attention to some new article, but the ones that really just like strike you and that 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 truly, you know, really move you or are, are, are when they they tell you how much they enjoy it, right? That's that's what just sort of gets me. It's like when people are enjoying it, right? They're not just listening because there's some information here that might be helpful. There's there's an enjoyment level to that and man is that i mean there it's really hard to describe how how wonderful that makes you feel
2: well i know we have other parts of the show to talk about but i do want to say this and you and i have had conversations throughout the 200 about when to stop right like what's enough like maybe 200 should be our last and how far should we go with this thing and it's times when and you what was great is that um, these individuals came up to both of us, and we, we we both heard, "I got my job because of your podcast, and and what you would you two stand for, or you've changed my life." I don't know what we've done. No, I don't. I think they're giving us too much credit, but yes. but they look at you with tears in their eyes, saying that you absolutely changed their life for the better. That's yeah, pretty darn good. I mean, it has nothing to do with marketing. <laughs> yeah. it has nothing to do no. with – like, we don't care no. about – And exactly. as you say – well, as you say in your workshops all the time, I don't care about your companies. I don't, yeah. I care about exactly. you. You. And I think that's the way that you and I both feel. Like, we really do care about everyone that listens to this because we're all in this together. And whatever you get out of it, even though you <laughs> you and I sometimes doubt the fact or, or like uh, – I don't know if anybody – this is really valuable to anyone – I guess it is, yeah. And we'll take it. We'll absolutely we'll take it. Take we'll it absolutely and, and take and it. With it. We will so. receive
1: it. We so, will receive it. <laughs> so thank you all so
2: much for for listening. We can't thank you enough. Uh, we don't take this for granted, or don't take it lightly at all. And yeah. uh, we're just gonna keep keep moving as long as keep you keep, as long as you keep listening. Absolutely. All right. Well,
1: let's. Um. You want to? So, shall we move on with the regular? Let's go on with the regular regular program.
2: Yeah. So, thank you all of you for just kind of putting up with that half hour or so of of banter. We thought it was important to do something a little bit differently for two hundred. But for those of you that actually just wanted a
1: regular episode, we're going to start right now. Absolutely. (laughs) And that starts, of course, with our newest segment, um, which is about a couple of weeks old now. It's our quick hits. And uh, that's where we talk about, you know, whatever it was that was top of the news uh, last week that we think you should be paying attention to. And sometimes it has to do with content marketing, and sometimes it's just marketing, and sometimes it's just top of the news. So, of course, there is no other news last week than um, the giant, wonderful, orange-tinted event that happened in Cleveland, Ohio called Content Marketing World. And you know if you'll forgive us this self-indulgent, uh, but it is the top of the news. It is one of the biggest things that happened in the industry, of course, um, all week. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about our reflections from a week of just wonderful content marketing um, education. And so what do you think, Mr. Polizzi? What, how, how are you feeling after last week's content marketing world?
2: Well, it always, it sort of renews my spirits about the future of marketing after I see people that really do believe, and in some cases are struggling inside their large companies to try to get more of the organization to buy in. And uh, I mean, I, I if I rehash my my opening, I did about a 10 minute opening to kick off content marketing world. So uh, apologies for those of you that were at the event, I'm, I'm sort of going to rehash some of this, but... I really do believe that we are in a turning point right now for the practice area of content marketing because historically, nothing wrong with this. And we we'll talk about this in the open. There's nothing wrong with just taking the traditional viewpoint of content marketing. We're going to create valuable, relevant, compelling content on a consistent basis to a target audience in order to see some profitable behavior. You and I believe in that. That is the essence of content marketing. That's That's the essence of future communications. But We really see, and that's, of course, in the book Killing Marketing, that there's something else going on, that content is not necessarily a service to marketing anymore, that there's something bigger. And I do believe that something bigger is that the future of organizational business models are coming out of the fact that you have a loyal and trusted audience – and you can monetize that loyal and trusted audience in myriad ways and in new ways that you never thought of before and really believe that more and more companies are going to adopt this either inside their enterprises or brand new companies and they're going to make change happen and we're going to see amazing things happen and and what we're going to see is is the haves and have nots you're going to see the greatest case studies of our time out there. You're going to see amazing innovative things done and you're going to see a number of companies that focus it on on just campaigns and focus more on product content uh, that are really going to be struggling and you still get those haters out there and we'll continue to see that. And then the one thing that I thought was critical, and you and I both talked to this in our presentations about audience building. In the latest top-line research that Content Marketing Institute does with marketing profs, we, we just went over some of the top-line results. And the one result that I thought was truly interesting is those companies that say they're successful at content marketing – of those are focused on building audiences as primary to what they're doing. This is a huge change. It's like a 30% different from difference from last year. It's way different than two years ago. So, Whatever we're doing, whatever the industry, the community is doing, it's starting to work because we're less focused, at least the ones that are succeeding, less focused on traffic and downloads and vanity metrics and other things like that. And they're starting to say, look, the most important thing is we build a loyal and trusted relationship with this audience. And if we do that, it opens up all kinds of new opportunities. So, I mean, besides all, you know, the fact that we got to see some amazing people and I thought the keynotes this year were better than anything we've ever done before. That was sort of the takeaway or the setting throughout the rest of the conference
1: that what we're doing is bigger than just marketing. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, what you just said, you know, segues perfectly into my big takeaway, which um, feeds off of that, which is the, the, the part of the research that sort of, really struck me was, I mean, certainly the audience thing for the obvious reason, because this is my new focus for, for, and has been my focus for the last sort of eight months is, is really, how do we look at audiences as a new asset that we grow within marketing? And I'll get to that in just a second. But the thing that struck me, I think the most, and this was sort of, there was an undercurrent of this certainly in the talks, certainly in the hundreds of people that I met and spoke with um, at the event itself, and then in our research, which showed, I think the number, and I'm forgetting the exact number off the top of my head, but I want to say it was 48% or, or there, thereabouts, which is those that can't actually change something that's not working. In other words, it ha- so whatever it is we're doing has institutional Momentum, and we're we can't change it, thus, we can't evolve into doing something new. And this is what I've been calling classically the ability to say, Stop, what is it we're going to stop? Because what I'm hearing from so many marketers these days is that the content marketing strategy, the C suite, or our colleagues, or whoever it is that are sort of gatekeepers for us, are saying, Yeah. Yeah, no, I get it. Content marketing's really important. Go do that. That's an important thing. And then as they turn out turn to walk the room, you get that columbo moment is, but you're not going to stop doing the demand generation thing, right? Or oh, you're not going to stop all that other stuff you're doing, right? Oh, you're not going to, you know, and it's sort of, yes, go do that, but add it to the already uh, the million other things you're already doing. And then there's this sort of heavy sigh from the content marketing, you know, advocate in the business who says, you know, I, I I just can't do this effectively if it's only going to be 3% of what it is I focus on. And so I think one of the most important things that I'm seeing happen is a reprioritization of content as a strategy in the business as it pertains to other things. And this is why I think this audience thing is such an important part of this because the pivot is to make audience building more attractive. It just has to be because right now, the most, imp- the most attractive thing in the business is how do I generate more business? How do I generate more revenue? How do I generate more leads? Or how do I generate more, you know, customers? And what, in order for that to be, you know, prioritized in the right way where audiences become a strategic function, we have to provide the value. And the value is if we only look at content marketing as a means of a replacement for the direct marketing methods like advertising and brochure creation, we will fail because content marketing is more expensive. It does take more time and it just, it's harder and it takes more creativity and more depth in the business. It takes long, It's just harder. But the point is, is that if we do it correctly, it provides for multiple integrated lines of value to the business. So it, we have to take the time to strategize, to figure out where those multiple lines of value can be, and center all of that on the creation of a loyal, trusted audience, because that is the asset we're building. If you even just look at the replacement cost for an asset called an audience, the marketing team probably, that's most, the most valuable asset in the business. And so – but we haven't prioritized it as such. And that's the pivot that I'm I'm encouraged by. It's the change I want to help facilitate for businesses, and it's really my focus for the next – for 2018 for sure is how do I start building a business case and helping people build business cases to build audiences that provide long-term exponential value to the business?
2: Well, I think that what you're doing with audiences is so critical to the future of our practice area where – I mean so, – I was reading some stuff on Facebook just about content marketing world and somebody mentioned, you know, dot, dot, dot. That's why we need Robert and Joe, you know, screaming from the mountaintops about this so that it makes everyone else's job better. So yeah. what you're doing in audience will pave the way, hopefully, if everything works out, that, that this this is one of the key assets – In the entire organization, and we have to start. We have to help. They need. They need help in creating a model around that, so they can take that to the chief marketing officer. They can take that to the CEO and say, "Look, yeah, you know all that content stuff and touchy feely that you don't get. That doesn't matter. This is what it does. It creates this audience asset, and every subscriber that we have, depending on what we're trying to do, is worth this, this, and that." And that, and once you take that and you put that into, you know, real money, then the CEO and the CFO are going to start to pay attention. And that's when the function of marketing takes a step up, which yep. we haven't yet done because we're still looking at social media shares, downloads, and traffic. And honestly, even though they're
1: nice, most of the time, it doesn't matter. So, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. It's, you know, I mean, you know, not to belabor it, but, but that – it is it is truly figuring out how we're going to reprioritize what it is we're already doing in order to make room for doing something that is in, is as involved in other words if we're just you said this last year during your keynote which is if you're just going to do this a little bit don't do it right yep. if you're not going to commit to doing it then don't then don't do it because it's just going to become a distraction and you'll fail at it and then people will be like well it was useless to begin with so that
2: was – I mean, I think for both of ours, that's what – both of our standpoint, that's what hit us. The yeah. one thing that I would say – I don't know if you have a personal thing to share, but, but one of my highlights was just because I'm – first of all, I'm on stage with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. He's totally cool. How cool is that? Incredibly smart guy. So, he did a presentation. What was awesome is everyone was expecting the, you know, actor celebrity, you know, what William Shatner did and what Mark Hamill did in the past, which were great. But I think people were expecting that. Oh, let's hear the celebrity talk about storytelling. And Joseph Gordon Levitt comes off and it comes out and t- talks about, uh, hit, you know, Hit Record and the media property of these building and how he views collaboration and the future of. Content and video. And everyone was blown away by that. So that's one thing. And then I go out on the stage and I had the opportunity because he you and I were talking about this later and I thought it was so cool. He throws out, I'm asking him how he generated revenue from Hit Record, And he said, well, a lot of it is through branded content. And I said, yeah, I said, branded content. <laughs> you mean content marketing, right? And he's like, he's like, I don't know what the difference is. Can you tell me? And of course- I leaned into that bad boy (laughs) because I'm like, are you Joseph gordon Levin going to give me an opportunity to talk about the difference between content marketing and branded content? And that was just a thrill for me to get to talk about, well, branded content. Yeah, it's where where companies are talking about their own products and services and they're sort of um, you know, telling stories around it to make those products and services seem a little bit better through storytelling and whatnot. Nothing bad about it. But content marketing is when we're focused on the needs and the wants of the audience. We try to deliver value and blah, 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 all the stuff that everyone listening to this knows. And I got more compliments off of that than anything and sort of thank you for – and I guess my hope is – If we get somebody like a Joseph Gordon-Levitt or anyone else, let's say on the Madison Avenue side, saying content marketing versus branded content, and it and it is what it is, like that's really what they mean, then we've we've uh, we've, we're doing something positive for the marketing and and uh, communication community. So, anyways, I thought that was cool. Did you have like a personal thing that you thought was amazing? Well,
1: I mean, so many. I mean, as as I you know, I mean the 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 you know the of course it's homecoming week right so you yeah. get to see everybody that you love and and i think you know just to the point that we made early on it was the it was truly the evolution of people right you know i had i have had so many people and had so many people at the event come up to me and say this is, you know, I I couldn't do at my old job what I wanted to do and you know have learned everything about this event, but I'm at my new job now and we're killing it, right? It, we're just doing an amazing thing. So it was one it's it's wonderful over 7 years to see the evolution of attendees and and you know who are friends and family and just how they've grown in their career over the last 7 years and changed jobs sometimes twice over. And just been able to do incredibly important, and wonderful things. So it's 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 a it's an amazing thing.
2: It the the people in this community, and I said it at the close, and I didn't, you know, I didn't want to get weepy because I always, you know, I come out on stage for my final session, and I I really. You know, I don't know where I'm going to take it because I don't plan it. I just get out there and I I say what I feel in my heart. And I said, the difference between this community and any other one that I've ever been involved with is this is a family and we care about each other and we're not competing with each other. We're trying to lift each other up. And that's what I was trying to say is if you have issues, if you're going through challenges, you got everyone else in this room that will help you with that. And so lean on this community if you can. And that's what my biggest takeaway from, you know, from the Ann Hanley's, the Marcus Sheridan's, the Jay Bears, all the way down to any other attendee. There is really a feeling of family and something that I don't know how you replicate. I mean, it's almost weird how it's it, I don't know how this thing was all created, but it's just it's it's amazing that it's happened and how much support there is for each other. So, yeah, it's wonderful. Oh, I think we should just end the podcast there, but yeah. I know' <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> right exactly is
1: so good we uh
2: We probably have some just regular news to cover,
1: yeah, we do have some fun, interesting things that also happened while we were away there in Cleveland. i don 't know how anything else people. happened. I know but, yeah. I know I know what are you going to do, but our deep coverage segment this uh this this show has a couple of different stories that we'll talk about here uh the first one is from well what we'll link to in the show notes is is a is a the website for the actual survey at cmo survey.org. We actually covered this last year when it came out as well. Um, the CMO survey is a survey that's done. It's been done for a few years now and it collects and disseminates the opinions of top marketers um, in order to predict the future of markets. And it's been done um, those last few years by the American Marketing Association, um, the business, the Duke University Business School, the Fuqua uh, School, and then the uh, Deloitte CMO services. And so it. Has some really interesting uh, highlights this year um, that I think were are worthy of talking about, and certainly worthy of you digging into. Did was there was there something in the CMO survey that really struck you, Mister Pulitzi? Uh,
2: yes, I have a few notes, and you and I have not shared our notes, so it'll be interesting to no, see we what you yeah. pulled out because there were eighty-two slides that I went through on this one, and these are the yeah. ones that I thought were the most interesting. Um, General. Positivity about the economy, but but yeah. going down compared to what they saw six months ago, right uh, and before. So that's interesting. So you you dig into those a little bit more, and then you realize that there's less spending on marketing overall than we than than we've had in this survey that they've ever seen, eight point nine percent. It's still going up. It, it's you know it's still rising, but it's the smallest rise that that this uh, survey has seen since the inception. So I I look at that and I think, wow, maybe there's an opportunity there for other companies to, um, to take advantage of. And then you go through another one and, uh, it says, uh, the overall, I think the overall spend on marketing versus revenues is, uh, 6.9%. Again, the same thing. It's that it's still rising, but it's the lowest, um, raise up to that point or whatever, however you want to say it. And I kept thinking, Robert, and I wanted to get your take on this is, I mean, we talked a couple episodes ago, I think, about are we? is there a recession on there? Is there something going on? I mean, you and I talked to people that didn't attend content marketing world because there was a travel ban and all those kinds of things. And it seems like there is, because of all the business models are just turning on their heads, there are some companies, and at least this survey says that there is, there's less spending being done in marketing. And I feel that almost back to 2007 2008 that hap- that's the last time we saw this happen and i think there's a huge opportunity for those folks that really want to double down on their marketing right now that they can get the lion's share because at the same time their competitors are pulling back now i don't outside of the survey i don't know i mean i could just tell you my gut my gut feels that these numbers are correct and I think that if I'm looking at this as a marketer, as a content marketer, I'm thinking, "Wow, I hope this isn't my company that's sort of pulling back." And is there a bigger
1: opportunity here? I think you. Well, here's the here's the here's the the, the question or the slide that really sort of s- sold it for me, okay? Which is uh, slide twenty six, right. which talks about the digital marketing and the the percent change in traditional advertising versus digital marketing in the next twelve months. Now, I don't know how they. Um, uh, you know that their their digital marketing uh, is may include digital advertising right versus traditional sort of what they 're talking about um, but to me if you look at the, the 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 spend difference there the change difference there all of the decreases are coming from traditional traditional, traditional versus the digital spend so you know if you look at gartner 's Cmo study it found roughly the same thing which is when we look at you know, marketing in general, the, the budgets are going up slightly, uh, but there is a pullback in, in advertising spending. And I think there is, you know, that's across the board. And so I think what you're seeing, you know, broadly speaking, is this, this truly a, you know, a, a – we, well, we talked about this last episode, which is there's this real uncertainty, right? There's an uncertainty right now about what's going on in the market – in the marketing space – and there's a lot of uncertainty about the measurement space right now in digital marketing and advertising. Is certainly in the B2C space, um, and in you know, and and has always been in the B2B space. And so I think you're what you're seeing is a you know, and if you look at the industries, right, you know, so it's where we're starting to see industries really you know uh, increase their spending. You know, you see things like. Banking and financial services, and communications and media, and those kinds of things, and where we're starting to see slower growth are things like CPG, consumer packaged goods, um, and those kinds of things, which has always been the lion's share yeah. of marketing budgets. Anyway, I mean, you know, you look at business to consumer budgets versus versus B two B budgets, and they're just you know they're astronomically higher. So any movement there is going to affect the market in a, in a skewed uh, in, in a skewed way, and I think generally speaking, what we're seeing is performance is not being removed by removing some of the digital advertising. In other words, there we are getting better at it. We are getting better at spending money more wisely. Thus, we don't have to spend as much, and that may be the problem, right? In other words, we're spending the money in a smarter way, and thus – What we're not doing is actually being very good at collecting the money that we're saving as saying, hey, we're just basically saying we can do more with less, which has been the mantra for marketing for so long is let's do more with less. And it's like, great, we actually are doing more with less, but now it would be really great if we could make the business case to do more with more. And, and that's, the, that's, that, that's what I'm hopeful that this is indicative of. But, you know, I'm as unsure of anybody, as anybody about the you know, the future of the economy and where the world is going and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, you just you, 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 you play the game you've gotten. And that's, yep. the, that's the real key here. Well, and yeah, I mean, it, it seems I totally agree with that. I think you
2: do see a little bit of battening down the hatches here. I think your slide is I mean, if you go to this one, slide 26, um, the difference is notable. Right. So let's just look at B2B. 11.4% increase in digital marketing spending minus 3.6% decrease in traditional advertising spending. Right. So basically exactly. 16% difference. If you look at that from soup to nuts, that's significant. That's something we need to keep in mind. A couple of other stats that I wanted to throw out actually you get your take is social spending uh, as part of the marketing budget and currently 9.8% to to what they're saying is probably 18.5% in five years, which really doesn't mean anything to me other than the fact that I don't know what social media spending is. I would love to have that defined in some way as to what they're talking about. And is content creation included in that? Because this entire study, and there's 82 slides of it doesn't say anything about content creation. doesn't say anything about content marketing. That's I, right. I, yeah. So that's a little, little disturbing. And the last thing that, a uh, that I will note is there's a 229% growth rate in data and analytics spending.
1: And yeah. this is the one that gets Well that's you- I mean that's our that's our struggle, right? I mean that's the hashtag the struggle is real right now. Yeah. For for these marketing organizations because they're all looking at where's my dashboard? Where yep. are my numbers? Where's my, you know, where, where are my analytics? Where, where's the data? Because there's increasing pressure. And this is, you know, we we talked about Mark Pritchard from PNGs, you know, sort of challenge to the digital advertising and digital marketing crews of the world to say, Hey, agencies get your, you know, what together, because you've got to be able to show me that digital is working. And so the idea of you know, programmatic and, and analytics and and data mining and uh, and all of that is top of mind for the CMO these days. It's like, how do we show what we're doing is working? And guess what, folks? I mean, that's that's not a new thing. Yep. That that has been around since ni- the nineteen forties. When marketers and CMOs were trying to figure out what marketing was working, we have not suddenly lost something we had we have We have always not been very good at being able to prove that marketing um, you know earns its keep and you know it's it has been and always will be a, as much art as it is science and so that 's you know that 's get used to it and so the problem is all these digital tools now exist that claim to be able to prove your roi and they just don't. They and that's just a, that's just a sad fact of the world. We we saw this at the
2: event, right? There's a ton of data gathering and data analysis going yeah. on with with really what I would say either shell strategies or no strategies at all. So, we can make I you know, you say this all the time in your workshops. You can make the data dance. You can make the data do whatever you want it to do. Exactly. But if you don't have a core strategy behind it, which still, if we look at the research, and which we'll go through in a couple episodes from now, really dig deep into the research, most organizations still don't have a documented content marketing strategy, but they are creating a lot of content. There is a lot of data, and they're, they're looking at all their analytics to look at it and say, okay, what is the, what's the insight that we can draw from this? And the problem that I have is you could get in, insight
1: that's completely incorrect because you don't know what the heck your strategy is. So anyways... Yep, I that's Exactly right. So. no, no, it's exactly right. You know, and and, and, and and in case it sounds like I'm not advocating for analytics or data, I'm not. It's it's I, I absolutely believe in both. But what I believe in is is that analytics and data help us derive insight, and and to the to the extent that it helps us increase and optimize our strategy and our process. That's where data. But the minute that it's being used as proof of life for you know the 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 reason that marketing should exist is when you know is is when we start gaming the system. It's when we start, of course, making the things look like we want it to look like. Because if we don't do this one particular thing well, then we lose budget, and then of course the human nature in that is of is to is to make it look like we're doing well. Mm-hmm. And so if. If if we can ask the data honest questions and get honest answers and get true insight out of it, that's when data and analytics are truly valuable, when it helps us improve the process for what we're doing. Do you think we have time to do one more uh yeah, let's one cover more headline one somewhere? Yeah, one more one let's look, cover this one quickly because it's yeah. so related to what we were just talking about. Um You know, this uh, this article comes to us courtesy of the Wall Street Journal. The headline here is, and maybe no surprise, um, literally happening. Probably as I was giving my keynote, ironically enough, Um, Facebook is willing to spend big in video push. Uh, The article opens up by saying, Facebook. Is loosening its purse strings in its drive to become a major hub for video. The social media giant is willing to spend as much as one billion dollars to cultivate original shows for its platform, according to people familiar with the matter. The figure, which could fluctuate based on the success of Facebook's programming, covers potential spending through 2018. One of the people said that puts them in line with Facebook or Netflix. It puts them in line with Apple. It puts them in line with uh, uh, Amazon as becoming one of the major new media companies. I'm not reading this anymore. This is my opinion and take on it, and I think it's you know I, in my keynote I said that they were going to be what was shown to date was that they were going to be willing to spend a uh, three million dollars per episode for their new platform, and this is now putting a sort of more aggregate number of a billion dollars on it, which is a lot of money to spend on content.
2: The only thing I would say is this is just the start and yeah. they Oh, have this po- is just the beginning. Well, we yeah. we you know we've talked about Facebook the media company since episode 1. So this is not a surprise and Facebook pushed away and said, "No, no, no, we're a technology company. We're not a media company because they didn't want to upset any of the uh, the, the real, quote-unquote, quote, unquote, real media companies like Washington Post and Wall Street Journal and New York Times, and they said, oh, let's play in the sandbox with you. you know, let me let me get some of your audience over here to Facebook. So Facebook has played this game brilliantly, and now they are going to double, triple, quadruple down on original content. And now they don't care anymore. They don't care if it, the, the, the cat is out. I mean, it is absolutely happening, and it is – I mean, this means – and of course, not news to us, but Facebook will be competing against Amazon. if they're known already, Netflix, Disney, they're going to compete Apple because they're talking about not only video, they're talking about music as well. They're talking about every medium you can imagine. And they're trying to completely dominate the conversation out there, which, you know, if I was Zuckerberg, I'd probably want to do the same thing. So it's just interesting to see this happen. If anyone's surprised with it, shame on them because we could see this coming. And it is going to be a an incredible battle to watch. I'm going to sit back with my popcorn and I'm going to watch this thing happen. And um <laughs> and I and, and I guess the the thing is, the the warning is I think we as brands have to be careful out there and we have to carve out our audiences wherever we can because Facebook and Netflix and Amazon and Apple are trying to take those for themselves. Yeah. So you just have to be careful, especially when you're leveraging Facebook as a platform and building an audience on that platform to know that you
1: are just, that's r- exactly what Facebook wants you to do. That's exactly right. It's exactly right. And they want you to, you know, and, and by the way, you know, the other media companies of the world are beginning to compete with us, right? When you see... You know, other media companies doing the same thing, using their audience to monetize productization in a different way. So you see, Time Inc. Launching a pet veterinary service, you know, there which will sell pet products and pet supplies, and as well as pet services for veterinary and insurance services. Or when you see New York Times offering agency strategy services, or buying companies like um, uh, the gadget technology site, um, and you see other media companies buying product companies and productizing their content. You're, if you're in the pet business or if you're in the insurance business or if you're in the agency strategy business, your new competitors are Time, Inc., and New That's York right. Times, and Amazon, and Netflix, and all the other companies that are competing with you in a product level. Well, and if we don't start competing back, then it's, it's going to become game over.
2: We say it in the book a hundred times. The book is called Killing Marketing, by the way. It's available. Uh, they, <laughs> we say that the, the media model and the brand product model is exactly the same. And That's for right. those people on the marketing side, if you don't wake up to that right now, man, you're, you're, it's going to hit you so hard down the road, you're going to be lost. And i just give you a quick example from the stuff that we're facing as a media company. You know, we have a, you know, we always do a competitive analysis and, you know, we want people to come to Content Marketing World, but where are our other attendees going if they don't go to Content Marketing World? Well, you know, everyone else on that list, for the most part, you have to go way down the list to find another media company that we're competing with. That's you know, right. we're competing with Marketo's conference and Oracle's conference and Adobe's conference and, and oh, HubSpot's course. conference and on and on and on and on. Those are the main competitors. So th- they're media companies now, like it or not. So what's the difference? Well, that's right. It's only in perception. It's yeah. only in perception.
1: There's no difference. So. Exactly right. So. Well, speaking of perception and being no difference, we should talk about. A really amazing, wonderful sponsor. Absolutely! Oh, about.
2: absolutely! And we have an exclusive for listeners of PNR, this old marketing podcast, and. God bless you for, for those of you that have stuck through all 200 episodes. You should get a special award or something like this. Our <laughs> friends, our friends at CoSchedule want you to try CoSchedule free for 21 days. So they're giving you a special offer to do that. If you're not familiar with CoSchedule, it's the number one marketing calendar for everything you need to get organized, get a bird's eye view of all your content and social promotion, organize your content and build a consistent schedule so you can publish faster and more often. Number two, workflow management. Keep everyone on the same page with clear directives. Never wonder who's doing what or where you are in a project. And number three, social promotion. Create all your social in one place. Focus your efforts on quality messaging and stop spending your valuable time jumping from one tool to the next. You can get this wonderful free offer to try co-schedule for 21 days absolutely free at cmi.media slash pnr 200 a that's cmi.media/pnr200a, and special thanks to our friends at CoSchedule for making this offer possible.
1: Fantastic! They're so wonderful to. I mean, I mean, it's it's awesome to get it. You know, you, as a special listener, you get an account. It's pretty. It's pretty great.
2: You, I know they had me at hello. They had me yeah. at hello with that. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we are, episode 200, and your favorite part of the show. That is right, it is time for our rants and raves section when Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like we have tons of gratitude for the world, <laughs> or something that makes us feel like we want to throw up in our mouth a little bit. Um I don't know if those are two opposite things, but yeah, Oh, there we go. So uh, I'm going first because I, shock of all shocks, i, think oh, I, I well, done 200 episodes. You would I have to. Done. Well, we had to have you do this old marketing for the 200 <laughs> because, because it would be weird. It would be yeah, weird. it would be weird. Did. It's like 180-something episodes or something. Um, anyway, I have two very quick rants, I mean, I guess to celebrate the 200 um, and not being terribly grateful. Um, and I don't know if these are rants or not. They're really just more... Um, they're more, they're more sort of commentary more than anything else. The first thing, I just can't go with not mentioning it. It was perhaps something we could have talked about in the big news, the quick hits section. But if unless you were under a rock last week, you understood that uh, Equifax, um, that which keeps your credit score, um, had a huge breach. Um, and... This and the sort of breach of data is one thing. Um, and then they came out with a series of just really not very good reasons why and sources and just, just have not. This is a classic case of when I use and when I talk about in the workshop, you can tell your story or the story can tell you. And this is a classic case of where the story is telling them because they have just let the story get way ahead of them and they have not done a very good job. And just some really basic blocking and tackling here. Um, (laughs) There's a link that we'll put to in the show notes because the obvious one, the one that everybody's talking about, is the fact that when you go to Equifax to the site that they set up, which is a blog, and basically do a search for your name and the last, I think it's six um, numbers of your social security number, they'll tell you basically whether your data may have been compromised or not. But of course by doing that, and this is what everybody's covering is you're agreeing that you won't bring a class action lawsuit against them. So in other words, them providing you the tool to check if you were hacked in their system, you have to agree that you won't sue them, which everybody's saying, look, this is not going to hold up in court and this is a whole thing. But again, I'm guessing that they didn't even realize that 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 was part of their terms of service. That the, I'll bet you that they didn't. They did. we moving so fast and not thinking about this story that they didn't even realize that that was buried somewhere in the terms of service that they were going to throw up in in front of this um, this wonderful little tool that they put together. The second and which is even more egregious and this is going to be very inside baseball for most because most consumers won't care about this. But what we'll link to in the uh, the show notes is this Krebs on Security, which is a great blog, by the way, if you have never read Krebs on Security, if you want to look at security and data and all those kinds of things. And the blog post title is Equifax Breach Response Turns Dumpster Fire. Oh. And what basically the, he, he, he has found out by looking, the author of the blog post has found out, is that at best... The database that you're going to search from is returning random results because he actually got conflicting results. He searched it once on his mobile phone and it said, oh, no, your data hasn't been breached. And then he searched it again on his desktop the next day and said, oh, no, your data may have been breached. So at best, it's returning random results based on, you know, just you searching it or at worst, it's wrong and what with, with which is even which is even more horrible the other thing that they looked at was that they found that this blog that they've launched this tool that they launched for checking your your, your score is a wordpress site that they threw up and that there is one there's one user uh basically admin user to this whole thing and it's a user by the name of edelman so it's basically edelman pr is obviously behind this doing crisis communications and all of that and that's just oh no come on just it's just you just want to say come on i'm so want to be on i so want to be you know you know you're on that marketing team you're on that pr team and it's just like just Make better decisions. Just make better, better, smarter decisions about the way that you're doing this. And I know it's happening fast and I know it's happening in real time. And I know there are no good reasons and outcomes here, but there are just better ways there are to better talk ones. story. There are yeah, better there outcomes. There are better outcomes. Yeah. yeah, there are better outcomes. Anyway, so that was a quick commentary. The other one that I wanted to throw out here was another sort of um, rant, um, which comes from, and what we'll link to in the show notes is from fortune.com. And this is just a great one um, because basically they're calling Facebook measurement into, uh, into question again because basically Facebook advertising, their claim of reach is not necessarily, doesn't comport with the actual, the, um, the, the census numbers. In other words... Basically, Facebook is claiming to be able to reach like 41 million 18 to 24-year-olds in the U.S., but there are only 31 million people living in the U.S. within that age range. So in other words, they're claiming to reach 10 more million people than actually live in the United States that are 18 to 24. Same thing with 25 to 34-year-olds. Facebook is claiming a potential reach of 60 million, and then, but there were only 45 million of those that were counted in the census. So somebody's wrong. And the census is almost certainly wrong, but it's almost then absolutely true that Facebook's claims are off by a good good measure here. And so this is truly when we start talking about the continuation of measuring reach and frequency and attention through the audiences of the media companies that we're putting into – you know facebook and google they're not naive little technology companies they're not sort of going oops yep we overstated it by 30% right they're they're getting it really wrong and it's just a really it's just a it's just something to be aware of as we continue to spend money and prop up this idea of attention-based measurement as the as the metric by which we're delivering value. And all the measurement stuff that we go along with just goes right along with it. And again, I'm not saying advertising is dead. A couple of people came up to me after my keynote and said, you're saying advertising is dead and we should go all the way into owned media. No, as the end of my keynote said, this is an evolution. It is a beginning, not an end. It is a beginning of an evolution toward doing something different that is valuable, not stopping the thing that we're doing. Of course, paid media makes sense. I totally get paid media. I love paid media. I'm that guy who watches the TV advertising. But know what you're buying, know what you're getting into, and pay attention to here when a company like Facebook is making promises to help you reach 41 million 18 to 24-year-olds in the U.S. And there aren't 8, 41 you know, million 18 to 24-year-olds in the U.S. Just, we have to be Savvy about this. That's the only thing I'm saying. Anyway, that's the end of my little rant there.
2: You know, I uh, I smell hashtag shenanigans somewhere here. I think <laughs> exactly. there, I think there's something going on there. I love both of those were were fantastic. Thank you, sir. Uh, I will be really quick uh, with mine. I have uh, one commentary and a rave. I'm going to start with the rave first because I think that. Because you and I, Robert, were oftentimes in the front doing keynotes, out and about talking with people. We tend to get the lion's share for a lot of what happens at Content Marketing World. Uh, we have a lot of amazing CMI team members that that did the moderation and talks, and we're out there shaking hands. And a lot, of, some people forget that there is um, a team. A huge team, a wonderful team behind what brings Content Marketing World world to life. And I just wanted to throw out a little bit of love for our good friend Kelly Wetzel, who again put on a most fantastic Content Marketing World show. She has the greatest team members in the world, too, that come from all over the world to take care of every little bit of what happens around the show and and I, I really do believe this. We're Content Marketing World isn't the largest marketing show on the planet, but I do believe it is the it is the best attendee experience in the marketing space that you can have. And uh and one of the major reasons be- behind that is is Kelly Wetzel and her team and she is she is really in a lot of ways the heart and soul behind content marketing world so i just wanted to throw out a little bit of love to her i can't say anything that's gonna i mean it's i would love to do more than just um just rave about her and her team but at least at minimum i wanted to throw out some love for for kelly and team who put on another fantastic show for the seventh year in a row um my commentary is you know, there was a lot of talk, again, um, you and I both brought it up in our keynotes about um, basically large enterprises buying media companies like the Aero Electronics example to show that the models have shifted. And I had a, con- I'm not going to name the company, I had a really interesting conversation with one of the largest technology companies in the world, and it was really the first time that they'd heard that, Um even though we put it out in multiple formats and it's in the book and all that kind of stuff, but um, they were intrigued by that model so much so that I almost, almost took away from that conversation that they're going to go back to their executive team and say, "Look, you know this this buy versus build scenario, we we really have an opportunity here to purchase some media properties, blogger sites, influencer sites," um, and I almost got the feeling that their competitors we're going to do it if they didn't do it, which I actually believe that's true. Yeah. So definitely. I just thought that was interesting and I wanted to, to put it out only a bug in your ear, Robert, cause you and I had talked about it, but into our, our listeners that, I think it's going to start to get serious. You know, we talked about episode 122. That was the first one we really talked about acquisition. And now here we are a year and a half later in 2018. It's going to be serious. I mean, even with what we just talked about with Facebook and their purchasing, it's going to get nasty and fun. And I guess, you know, anyone listening to this, I don't care what size you are. I think you need to think about the possibilities of doing this. And uh, And I think it's there. By the way, it's not for everyone. But there is a huge opportunity, and if I'm part of the marketing team at any company, I'm putting this on my possible strategic list, at least for conversation with your chief marketing officer. So that's right. There you go. That's I thought that was interesting right. that I had that. No, it was about a half wonderful. hour conversation. I mean, it was a long yeah. conversation, not unlike the conversation you and I had in Singapore in yeah. 2013 with a large company, the consumer company there. And it just, more and more of these are coming up, and it almost seems like they're taking it seriously now.
1: I definitely had people coming up to me and talking to me about it, right? And when I would say, have you thought about acquisition? And they're like, it was like, they just went, yes, I j- yes. I'm it's so starting. glad you brought yep. that up. Yeah. exactly. I mean, they're just, they've been thinking about it, but going, is it real? Is it, I don't know. And then when you go, have you thought about acquiring a blog or acquiring a small media company? They're like, oh my God, I'm so glad you said that out loud because I've been so scared to say it out well, loud. Well, this so. this, and I totally, I mean, this every time they're like, "And and how do I learn about
2: this? I said, Oh, it's interesting that you ask. There's a book about it. There's a new book. (laughs) It's so terrible. Folks, we're in promotion week coming up. We're actually launching the book on September
1: 19th, so (laughs) you'll hear more next week about it. So That's right. Okay, well, here we have a wonderful, for episode number 200, our special episode here, we have maybe, maybe one of my favorite this old marketing examples ever. Wow, and I have to tell you, um, when this came in, it, it there, this I haven't been holding on to this. Um, this came in just before. Um, that's not quite true. I held it last week because it came in pre-show last week, so we could have used it last week. But I held it for this week because it's so good. And I first of all, let me just throw a huge, not a hat tip, but a pull off my hat and a big bow to Rob Johnson, the chief content officer at Engage Media out in Australia, down under in Oz, Um, engagecontent.com.au if you want to go check them out, because he sent this over. And I'm largely just going to read this because of the story and the amazing thing that he sent over. So I'm just so grateful, uh, Rob, that you sent sent this over. Um, So thank you for that. Um, Okay, so... It's the, the company we're talking about here is the Rock Island Line. It's a railroad. Um, one of the 38 railroad companies operating in the U.S. in, in the 1920s and, and as of 1929, it was one of the biggest. But it had also at that point spent decades fighting a huge legal battle uh, against the steamboat operators who at one stage had even blown up a bridge to stop the railroad from crossing the Mississippi River. Do you remember some? of This was um, I saw a documentary uh, not too long ago about the Erie Canal, actually, about some of the battles against railroad and steamboats and moving things by you know moving things by boat. Anyway, that's a bit of an aside there. So the twenties they were good for railroads. They were really wonderful and and, and the good times. Um, they were competing for every passenger, every payload of freight. They've had 44 daily passenger trains to fill this Rock Island uh, line here. They had 3,000 people in Arkansas employed. 450 of those worked at the Biddle Street shops where was that was the central freight yard for the Rock Island line. And so they created a content marketing strategy. And they had a monthly company magazine called the Rock Island Line Magazine, which had internal and external events uh, listed, what was going on in the communities, um, and they created this thing that they called Booster Clubs. Isn't that amazing? Oh man! So they, call, they called they created this thing that they called booster clubs, and the booster clubs were to put on these events in communities where the Rock Island Line was, and they would have performances, some of which were songs or poetry written by employees, members um, of the members of the club itself um, about the Rock Island Line. So you there would be like this gamification of of writing songs and poetry and having games about the Rock Island Line by the employees at these booster club meetings. And so they had all these shop brands. They had a, you know, they had a marching group. They had a Glee Club. They had a Mexican boys band. um, They had a twenty-five piece Rock Island Railway Orchestra. They had created all this content with music and with marching bands. And then they started putting on these shows, these musical shows in local churches, in the regional on the regional radio stations. Um, And sometimes they even made like commercially released recordings of the music that they were creating for these booster clubs. So they were very. Also, the booster clubs were obviously a marketing initiative as well, because they they in the company magazine, for example, in in 1920, they wrote, "Boost the Rock Island. Let the patron know that we have this good thing and we believe in it." So, in other words, spread the word about the booster club. They were marketing the content, marketing the actual booster clubs themselves, putting money behind the boosting of the content of these of these of these clubs and these and the shows and the music, um, and did all of this. So now, cut to 1929 uh, in the Arch Street Missionary Baptist Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. One of the uh, in one of the booster clubs, there was a the club called the Biddle Shops Colored Quartet, and they had this song that they called the Rock Island Line, and it was written by this guy Clarence Wilson, who worked at the Biddle Shops there and worked for the booster clubs, and they the song itself became hugely popular. Um, in the local African-American community and they create all these variations of the Rock Island line and created all these different versions of the Rock Island line and it became a hugely popular song. So fast forward five years to 1934 and there's a guy by the name of John Lomax who sets uh, and starts uh, working with this guy named Huddy Ledbetter, also as you might know him in the rock and roll world, the singer-songwriter Leadbelly on their first trip to rediscover American folk music. And they discover this song, song, Rock Island Line. And they start doing versions of it. So Lead Belly, who's this seasoned performer, this blues and folk performer, created his own version of the Rock Island Line, and they recorded his song and then released it. And so they released this Rock Island Line song that ended up um, basically becoming hugely popular in the UK of all places after World War II. So U.S. service guys who were stationed in London and elsewhere in the U.K. brought all their records with them and sold them in the secondhand stores. And these young British kids who were basically just starving for music started buying all these records. And one of them was this Rock Island Line. And one of them was this wannabe jazz musician called Lonnie Donegan who picked up, of course, the Rock Island Line single, taught himself to play it, and that became a huge big hit in Britain in 1956. So this goes on for all the way through the 50s, and the Donegan's version becomes a a, a top 20 song in the UK. This is the Rock Island Line, remember, that all started with the the content marketing thing. Basically published all of this stuff and becomes this, this Donegan song. This becomes one of the most influential songs for creating this new movement that would be influencing bands called The Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Van Morrison, basically any British musician who was in that first wave of the British invasion of the 1960s looked back to that version, that Lonnie Donegan version of Rock All in Line is one of the most influential things that they did in terms of creating um, this new music called skiffle music. And it, so it wasn't certainly the only factor that influenced all those guys, but this skiffle music became sort of that... Classic, straightforward rock and roll um, idea that would ultimately become the rock rock and roll of the British Invasion of the 1960s, and I think just an amazing example of this old marketing. That's almost that's hard
2: to believe. It's isn't it's it almost? Isn't so, it it's so extraordinary. It's hard to believe that that happened, but it happened. I guess. Yeah. So it's a, it's made the Rock Island line. There you go. Great. Exi- so that was Rob that sent that in. Oh, yeah. Rob, thank you, sir. Yeah. That's it's an
1: unbelievable story it's such a great story
2: which again uh, we forgot to mention this before but one of the things that makes this show I don't want to say easier but maybe I will say easier is because we get so many amazing contributions from the community it's exactly right that's around exactly this right. so just uh, can't thank you all enough and Rob included so that's that's wonderful so as we end our yeah. 200th 200. Episode the, by far the longest episode we've ever had, so don't worry about Absolutely. it. We're not going to do two I think we're hour, hour episodes. eight now. Hour, hour eight or yeah, it's going to be long. Yeah. This is going to be with the clips and everything. It's going to be it's going to be way hours. longer than so we won't do it every no. time. But we're just a special no. occasion. So thank Rest you. Rest
1: assured, we're not. We're going to go back to our under hour. This is a special episode. <laughs> Don't send Don't letters. Don't worry about it. We're okay. gonna get hate mail. I can't believe it.
2: I couldn't in on my ride in I had to listen to it on the way home again too. <laughs> so anyways, we'll uh we'll do that. But uh, you and I you know, you'd think that after content marketing world we we'd take some time off, but you and I are both We're traveling not, this no. week. I'll be no, in, it's right. I'll be in Winston, Salem this week for a marketing conference and I think you're in Vegas and some I'm, other in, I'm place, in Las right?
1: Vegas. I'm in Las Vegas tomorrow. Yeah, I'll be speaking at the American Marketing Association's annual conference. I'm the keynote there on uh, Wednesday morning. And then I'm up to the lovely Iowa City, Iowa, um, where I will be speaking at Nick Westergaard's wonderful event um, up there with the amazing Marcus Sheridan and Jason Falls and... Alyssa Agnes and um, some other people, Uh, just wonderful, wonderful event there. And then I'm home. I'm home for a good week and a half. So um, I'm happy about that. Well,
2: last but not least, thank you, sir. It has been a Mm -hmm. pleasure to spend the last 200 weeks chatting with you about shenanigans and whatever else we could come up with. So I appreciate it,
1: friend. Yep. Thank you, my friend. And here's to 200 more. Absolutely. All right. Well, folks, that is it for 200 this is uh, Robert Rose, and for Joe Polizzi, we're signing off. If you liked it, if you liked 200, and if for some weird, strange, odd reason you haven't considered subscribing yet, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher, and leave us a review, won't you? That's the way we get up there in the podcast ratings. It's the way we keep this little show going, is to build our audience here. So leave us a review leave us a subscription and if you do either of those things let us know hashtag us up at this old marketing on the twitter we'd love to thank you personally for each and every one of those things we appreciate you so much as a subscriber to this little uh, hour usually of nonsense and of course story ideas story ideas story ideas send them in hashtag us up at this old marketing on the twitter or if you love email if you just have to have a little email in your life well send us an email at this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. all the links we talked about today will be a Available in the show notes as we go to publish on Monday night and then of course in their replete technicolor glory on the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Until next week everybody and the start of another 200, 201, remember folks it's your story to tell. Tell it well. See you next week on This Old Marketing.